0: Hello again, and welcome to The Rotating Reels, the film review podcast where we alternate between new releases and favorites recommended by the co-hosts. I'm one of your hosts, Hank Showalter, and I'm calling in from Seattle, Washington. And joining me today is only one of my co-hosts, the fabulous Keegan Tran calling in from Portland, Oregon.
1: Actually, quick change, calling in from Cabrini Green, my new apartment. This is worrisome.
0: (laughs) Especially because the film we're reviewing this week, Candyman, takes place in Cabrini Green, and it's a horror film. But uh, we won't talk about that too much up front. Uh, You're going to have to wait just a minute uh, to get to the review of 2021's Candyman, (laughs) because we have a couple orders of business first. Um, So the first order of business, just like to remind everyone that we have a Patreon. Uh, I want to remind you this week, especially because... Uh, in conjunction with this episode we will be having a patreon review of the original 1992 Candyman. so uh you know if you listen to this you like it you think you could use a bit more just pop on over to rotatingreels.com. that'll take you to our to our patreon you can sign up for five dollars or more if you're feeling generous and then you can hear what we have to say about the original movie and uh if if, you know if you like this movie you're going to like the original so you know watch them both Anyway, that's our first order of business. Just plug in our Patreon. Second order of business is everyone's favorite segment. I don't know why we even do the movie reviews. This is what we've been watching. (laughs) This is a segment uh, where me and my co-host just kind of go over what we've been watching on TV or in the theater over the past week. Uh, Sometimes we also throw in comics, books, video games. It's really just a, a fun little ramble segment. Um, Since we only have two of the three co-hosts this week, we're not going to abide by our usual three-minute time limit. Uh, Normally, we only talk for three minutes, and then I start playing us out. This week, we're going to do unlimited what we've been watching, unless (laughs) I decide it runs too long and I add the play-out music anyway. With that said, I'm going to ask my co-host, Keegan, what have you been watching
1: this week? So I have kind of an interesting list. Uh, It's not all watches, um, and I'll get into that in a minute here. Um, But I did watch uh, a couple things. So the first was, uh, in looking at the Emmy nominations for this year, I noticed that not The Daily Show, but a smaller version of The Daily Show, which is Jordan Klepper's Fingers the Pulse, uh, which is kind of a more, I would say, web-focused spinoff show with one of their field, uh, I guess it's like field interviewers. But the Jordan Show, I mean, the what is it, The Daily Show, as it is under Trevor Noah, um, has a really good reporter named Jordan Klepper, and it's kind of like the original Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. Like, this guy absolutely steals the show, and um, he's kind of their field correspondent for a lot of the Trump rallies. And he made a 30-minute special where he actually covered the January 6th insurrection. Um, it's on Comedy Central, so it's pretty funny, pretty lighthearted, and then everything, as you know, kind of goes to shit, and it gets pretty, uh, pretty nasty pretty quick. Um, and so it's, it's pretty fun to see it through the eyes of like a guy who's trying to be a serious reporter But it's also uh, kind of obligated to be a Comedy Central reporter as well and try to make light of a really really crazy thing that happened um, And so I just wanted to see what the buzz was about. It's a 30-minute special that got an Emmy nom. Um, it's definitely fun to check out. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube um, I don't know if I would Say it's deserving of an Emmy, but definitely a, a nomination for sure um, I also watched a movie that requires a little bit of explanation. So I uh, went to a new mall recently to see a movie and they had a Lego store there. Lego was like a pivotal part of my childhood um, and they this store actually sold pre-made uh, pre-owned Lego sets that are hard to find now and of those collections they had Bionicles which were just chef's kiss one of just the coolest toys on earth back in the day um and bionicle actually had a lot of lore that was tied in with like indigenous people of like hawaii and like polynesian culture there's four movies that i didn't know about Uh, when i was a kid i only watched the original and i was so intrigued that i went on ebay is the original mask of light mask of light baby baby. that is right (laughs) So I, I ordered all four DVDs on eBay. I think it was $10 for all of them. And I watched Mask of Light, which is the first one. Um, and it's only 110 minutes, super, super short. Um, and it's very clearly a tie-in for Lego, right? It's it's all about moving product and getting kids excited about these toys. But this is way more effort than they had to at the time, right? Like, I think we live in an age now where we have Sony Pictures making the Lego movie and like putting just a buttload of, of effort and money into this. But this is a time when animated kids movies were like a wasteland when it came to these product tie-ins so this movie for what it was at the time of i think it was 2002 is is really really crazy um and i, I don't really have much else to say about it that it's a lot of fun and it's really sick to revisit bionicles and the world of Matsanui. <laughs>
0: Matsanui and that golden mask man he's talking about the unity and mask. teamwork and
1: very inspiring the young children everywhere i imagine it's yeah, it's it's a really cool band, and if anyone has any any legacy bionicles they want to send our way, it'd be very much appreciated because they are expensive now. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of it for my movies. I did check out the new episode of Ted Lasso, as always, really really good. Um, don't have too much else to say other than it's you know a bit of a tearjerker, always really fun. Uh, watched the new episode of Reser- uh, Reservation Dogs, which is also really good. Uh, but I would listen to two new albums this week. Uh, which is something i don't usually do i used to be really into music which i'm not as much now but checked out kanye's new album donda um which has been supposedly in like release hell for months like this some version of this has existed for very long um and kanye just keeps recutting it and not wanting to release it so universal kind of went behind his back and just released it and put it on streaming platforms without his knowledge um, and it's not a good album at all. Like I, I think Kanye is kind of a crazy person, um, and I don't mean to make light of any mental issues, but he's not really uh, a stand-up guy or interesting figure. Um, I think a lot of his like prowess comes from his musical ability. Um, so when like that's your one thing that keeps you going, and you release a bad album, <laughs> it, it makes me lose a lot of faith in Kanye, which might be a big statement. But I was just really, really not impressed by this new album at all uh doesn't push the envelope in any way um just really boring um and and kind of samesy but what i wanted to finish on here is an album by a band i think they're finnish called churches and that's with a v instead of a u super super awesome they were kind of at the forefront of like synth pop punk um, like in the in like the late 20s or early 2010s um, with their first album, songs like Mother and or The Mother We Share and Guns. Um, and they released a new album called Screen Violence that's all inspired by 80s horror movies. Um, and they actually worked with John Carpenter a little bit on it. Um, they have song titles like Final Girls, um, California, and it's all kind of about the horror industry and behind the scenes of that stuff. So really fun to tie in that like 80s synth pop with uh, a lot of movie stuff, which you don't see like. You know a lot of albums based on on a period of movie genre so i thought that was a lot of fun and it's it's a really fun album um sounds very similar to a lot of their other work but i had a lot of fun with it um and i think that ties up my watch week nice well
0: i actually might have to check out that church's album i haven't historically been a huge fan of theirs but i do yeah. like horror so you know i'm kind of obligated and uh you yeah know, besides that the rest of your week sounds pretty fun I uh I wish I could have rewatched the uh Bionicle Mask of Light. That would've been a whole lot of whole lot of nostalgia for me. But uh anyway, I'm gonna get into my watch week now. I had a long one. Um I had to put it all on a list, and uh anyway. Wow. Here we go. So I'm gonna start off with TV, I'll move on to movies, and uh that'll be it. So starting on TV, I watched the latest episode of uh, Wellington Paranormal. Been keeping up with this since it started, uh, Aaron and the U.S., and I still love it. It's pretty fantastic. Um, I, uh, I, I won't linger on it too much because I've said a lot about it before, but uh, I think the, the second season has just started. They just finished the first one, moved right into the second. And I think it's, uh, it's even better than some of the stuff we were getting in the first season. So super thrilled with that. Um, additionally, I checked out Bake Squad, um, which is a baking competition show. Um, it wasn't that impressive. You know, oftentimes <laughs> I watch these baking competitions and I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that that exists outside of like a 3D rendering. I didn't feel that here. Um, some of it looked good, though. So, you know, it's uh, it was easy enough to put on in the background, uh, but nothing sure. Nothing. Uh, world-changing. speaking. Are you
1: a big Great Great British Baking Show? Are you a big fan of that?
0: Yeah, I really love Great British Baking Show. Um, Sometimes there's some flops in the baking department there, but it's always like a real nice atmosphere. It's like getting a warm hug every time you watch an episode.
1: Yeah. It's the nicest that British people can ever be. That's that's the pinnacle of their kindness. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, but yeah, besides uh, Baking Squad, or Bake Squad, um, I also watched uh, Some More Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's a Larry David show. I think it's kind of a modern classic. I like it a lot. It's a bit too much for some people, so it's uh, one of those shows <laughs> I have to kind of watch on my own. But, uh, you know, if you're into kind of off-color humor, it's good good stuff. Uh, Larry acts like a dick. It's pretty entertaining. Um... <laughs> Yeah, anyway, that's all I have to say about Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, I've also been watching a bit of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, you know, it's it's kind of fun. I, I, you know, if, if uh, even if you don't really go to, like, drag shows, it's kind of fun to see the drama that unfolds, um, especially because... It's all like relatively low stakes drama. It's not people like being genuinely terrible to each other. It's just people kind of being catty, which is my favorite type of drama to watch because I don't want to have to actually feel bad for anyone. So, anyway, <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race is pretty fun. You get a lot of big personalities there. Uh, kind of a fun take on the competition show format. Um, speaking of competition shows, I also dove back into Survivor this week. Uh, starting with season one, episode one. So I I was an early adopter of Survivor uh, at my house. We watched a lot of Survivor growing up. I think we might have even started on the first season, but I was so young that I don't really have a clear memory of it. But I uh, wanted to watch some competition television. Um, I I was having trouble deciding on what. I thought, you know, let's just revisit Survivor. It's all on Hulu. And it's been a blast for me. I think the show has aged really well. Um, and I, uh, I think it remains pretty entertaining. I think they have a great format there, uh, kind of mixing the really kind of creative challenges with the big social game. Uh, it worked out well for them. I think people have tried to recreate it since, uh, not necessarily the exact same format, but something similar. And I don't know how much success I really consider there as having been at that. Um, I think Survivor kind of did it first and did it best. And uh, it's changed a lot over the years, and that really ruffles some people's feathers. Um, there's been, it's gotten more complicated and more gimmicky. And I actually love that um, because, you know, watching <laughs> the exact same format for, you know, 20 years or whatever at this point would get old quick, I think. You know, if you're someone that really loves how it started off and not how it is today, I feel for you, but I disagree um anyway and that was most of my television for this week also got a few movies often i don't have movies so i'm glad that i've got a few um so first of all i watched room 237 um
1: have you heard of this this is the the shining kind of behind the scenes doc right or not behind the scenes but it's like a exploration of fandom right yeah it's it's
0: really weird and in a good way it's like exploring fan theories about the shining and uh they, they basically just let fans talk about what their theory was there's not really any introductions there's nothing gluing it all together it's just fans talking about their theories and showing relevant clips from the movie and then some pretty photography um and it's really, really worth watching Um, you know, it's technically I think a documentary um, so you might expect it to be educational I don't think it is at all Um, I think that there's not really much you're going to gain of value from watching it in my opinion, because like the the theories are pretty out there and I think most of them are really poorly grounded, Uh, a lot of people really think that The Shining was about World War II and I'm just not convinced um (laughs) Anyway, but uh, anyway, it's really interesting to watch and you just hear how these people are like trying to support these totally wacky theories um, Yeah, it, it's bizarre There's a wide variety of theories and you get to see a bunch of shots from The Shining, which I think we shot really well So it's, yeah. it's a great great package. It's something you can put on in the background pretty easily because it is kind of incoherent so, like, if you're not following it, it's like, that's fine. I'm sure the production staff weren't either. Um, but uh, anyway, it's, it's worth checking out. That's Room 237. I think I had to rent it on Amazon, um, but, it, you know, for, okay. like, a little $3 rental, it's totally worth it. It's not one of those stupid fucking Disney $30. Premiere yeah, access. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, worth checking that out, even if you have to rent it. Uh, as long as you like The Shining. If you don't like The Shining, not nothing there for you. Um, besides that, I watched Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I think last week I mentioned that I'd watched The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, Keegan made a little bit of fun of me for shelling out to rent it. Um, and so anyway, this time I used my brain and my HBO subscription. Uh, went on the HBO Max and watched The Two Towers Extended Edition. It was... You know it's fantastic it's the lord of the rings like i don't think there's anyone out here that's like actually the lord of the rings isn't that good if you say that you're just wrong you know i don't care (laughs) if you can find people to agree with you like i'm not it's just such a i i don't know what you could possibly say to support that argument and i don't care because i've seen it and i i can tell you it's amazing (laughs) um so anyway lord of the rings the two towers extended edition um it's longer than the theatrical cut and every minute is something that i wanted to watch i mean i've seen it before so i knew i wanted to watch it but you know when you dive back in for that three and a half hours or whatever you have to ask yourself am i in for three and a half hours of this i was it was good um so So yeah absolutely recommend the whole lord of the rings trilogy recommend stopping uh before your brain convinces you to watch the hobbit trilogy um Oh, that's a whole Patreon conversation (laughs) anyway last thing on my list here and I saved it to last because it was kind of a childhood favorite uh, that has aged horribly in the most entertaining way (laughs) is I watched The Mummy with Brendan Fraser Um, and I love Brendan Fraser it's such a fun movie Um, but uh, oh my god it's not a good movie you know as a kid I kind (laughs) of thought it was but, you know, the effects have aged terribly. The plot is, you know, paper thin for the most part. Um, the, I, I won't say the acting is terrible. I think Brendan does a great job being just kind of like a, a, you know, a big dumb action hero. Um, and he's Rachel wise Yeah, Rachel Weisz. Nah, actually, she was just okay. Um, <gasps> <laughs> but the supporting cast, uh, the acting's pretty rough. Um, like the there's like the Hungarian guy there's like the really weirdly racist depictions of the Egyptian people um, yeah. like like a lot of it just hasn't aged well but it's not so bad that you know like it really offended me it was more just like I watched it and I was giggling the whole time I was like how did I enjoy this so much as a kid you know I, I watched it so many times but I'm uh, really glad I revisited it because it didn't really ruin it for me you know it was a movie that i love i think because i was a kid and it was kind of horror adjacent and not because it was ever really a masterpiece um but yeah i i enjoyed it and i i'd recommend checking it out if you uh you know aren't cursed with too strong a sense of taste um
1: <laughs> so anyway that's planning a uh, are you gonna revisit the entire franchise like all the way through the new one and uh what was Scorpion King? Scorpion King one? with the Rock. Yeah, I I've been
0: th- I, I'm thinking about it. Um I'm not a hundred percent decided. I think it depends on like how much free time sure. I find myself having. But you know, we could have uh, you know, some some uh, you know, weekend nights with not too much going on, just want to throw something on in the background. The franchise would be perfect for that. And I have an inkling that yeah. maybe the third mummy uh has maybe aged a bit better it's it's a lot more recent than the first two so i don't know yeah i
1: might i might i might recheck them out um and okay i think i i'm curious too another thing from your watch history and i think you might have a hot take on this is do you prefer the shining novel or the kubrick uh film adaptation
0: um you know i know there are actually a lot of really strong opinions on it because the the film adaptation does really you know take its liberties um It omits stuff that was present in the novel and kind of adds its own flair to a lot of things. I don't really have a problem with Mm -hmm. that. I think they're both really good. Um, Yeah. I am tempted to say that I prefer the novel, but I really love Kubrick's vision. Um, And I like Stephen King's writing a lot. Uh, But I actually think this is one case where the movie outshined the book. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, it's a... it's just really masterfully shot. Uh, Jack Nicholson's performance is a treat. And, you know, the book's decent, but if I'm going to pick up a, a Stephen King book, I'm probably going to pick back up the Dark Tower series or Salem's Lot. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say I, I think I do prefer the movie. Okay, oh, I enjoy both. I don't think yep. that's a hot take at all. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, though, that's what we've been watching, everyone which means that it is now time for our main review. That is our review of Candyman 2021. So as always, uh, we start with a spoiler-free section. You know, if you haven't seen the movie, it's gonna be safe to watch this part. We're just gonna talk, you know, general notes about the direction, the acting, um, and how how it made us feel right off the bat. Once we've gotten tired of that, we're gonna move into the second part of the review, which is the spoiler-full section. At that point, if you've seen the movie, just keep watching. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about all your favorite moments. But if you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, hit pause, go watch the movie. Or if you don't want to watch the movie, I guess you can listen through. But it might not be that interesting. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. If you haven't watched the movie and you watched the whole review, send us an email. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious now. But anyway, if you're planning on watching the movie and you haven't, yet watched the movie uh we're gonna ask you to to pause once we get to that spoiler break but for now you're safe so with that let's get into it so uh keegan i think everyone knows that i liked this movie a lot it's it's a horror movie (laughs) um and you know like if you've seen the previews you know it's it's like fairly pretty did you like Mm -hmm. this movie a lot
1: i did i really did like this movie um and i was getting nervous into the lead-up to it because i was reading some pretty bad stuff on twitter um which i think uh one of the things that's making me really nervous leading into this is i was seeing a lot of black critics who were fairly unhappy with the movie um, and how it kind of uses black suffering in, in a very exploitative way. So, I just kind of want to frame this whole conversation we're about to have um, with uh, something that we've said before in other movies, such as like Perfect Blue or Pieces of a Woman, where I think it's important to acknowledge that we're a podcast. A bunch of, we, you know, we joked about dudes being guys, and I think it, it very much can be that kind of show. Um, but also, we are. People who identify as white and Asian and don't always understand the nuances of what it is to be black in America. So because this is such a a movie that is, it's a black horror movie. And I think it kind of puts that foot forward very strongly. There are things inevitably that I think you and I won't tap into because we're just not from that, you know, demographic. And I think what I just want to throw out there that at the end of the movie, there's some really beautiful artwork. And then there's just kind of a, a card that says, you know, to read more about some of the things discussed in this movie visit candymanmovie.com slash impact. Um, And I just clicked through some of the stuff on that website. Um, It showcases a lot of the art from the artists that were featured there. And I think going to that website kind of helped me get a better understanding of some of the stuff that was discussed in the movie um, and that is a lot of the conversation um, that this movie tries to tackle. Um, So I just wanted to add that kind of precursor to the beginning. Um, But with all that being said, I really like this movie. I went in pretty nervous reading some kind of middling buzz about it. Um, and I was thoroughly impressed. It's, you know, written by Jordan Peele, directed by Nia Costa, super masterfully made. Um, I think we really are in a, not only a time of really high quality horror movies, but really high quality black horror movies with, you know, Jordan Peele and his, his monkey pod production studio uh, being behind a lot of these, these uh, movies. Um, there's some really, really fun cinematography, um, some stuff that just didn't need to be there and didn't need to, you know, didn't need to exist, but elevates the story in a lot of ways. Um, I think the writing can get a little wonky at times um, in, in ways that we'll probably follow up on in the spoilers, uh, but because the movie sets is set amongst the art community, I'm not entirely convinced, and I think I can be, con- you know, persuaded one way or another, the other that maybe the script is kind of cringy, or maybe the script does a good job of understanding how pretentious films or, you know, art critics can be. Um, So I I think I'll let it pass on that. Um, And one other thing that I kind of want to wrap on is that it's a movie that isn't an outright just jump scare fest. Um, And it isn't really a true horror movie. Well, it is a horror movie, but it doesn't feel like it's out to consistently scare you or put really scary imagery in front of you. Like a lot of the violence happens pretty quickly. Um, I wouldn't say it's like off screen, but it doesn't feel overly gratuitous. Um, and I will say that when I watched the movie, I stayed through the credits, and when I was leaving, the only other people, there was two other couples in the audience, and they had left. So it was just me alone in the theater, and I kind of had to walk out of the front, kind of with my back to the screen, because I was kind of nervous that there was going to be, you know, Candyman, a, a big guy in a trench coat <laughs> with a hook, watching over me as I tried to leave the theater. And I, I came around the corner to the little trash receptacle and there was a teenager with a broom waiting to clean the auditorium that made me kind of oh! <laughs> jump <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I, one more thing I want to throw out there is that there is some really, really cool usage of paper craft and of puppetry in this movie that I didn't expect either. And it was never, well, maybe it was in the second or third Candyman, but it was not a part of the first Candyman at all. And I think it was just a really, really fun way of retelling the story from the first movie um, and introducing things that may or may not have been true or have kind of blended into urban legend. That was awesome, and I, I adored that part as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a movie that's not without its flaws, but something that I was like super, super impressed with and, and left the theater kind of like chewing on it in the themes um, for the better part of that evening.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're warm on this one um, because, you know, I feel like you're, you're often more on the fest, uh, on the fence with some of these horror picks. And I walked out of this movie like, hot damn, I love that. So, uh, yeah. anyway, you know, I, I, when I texted you that I was finished watching it, I was a bit worried that you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, didn't you hate it? And I'd have to be like, no, <laughs> fuck you, Keegan. Which I love to say, but it does get old. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but super glad that you liked it. I also liked it a lot um i'd echo a lot of uh you know what you said up front um you know i enjoyed this movie but i am you know like a like a white man um so it's it's very possible there's some nuance to the film that's lost on me to some extent because i just don't share those Mm -hmm. experiences um but with that in mind you know watching the movie from my perspective um seeing all the talent that was on screen i thought it was really well put together i thought it was pretty thoughtfully put together um and i think that they did a great job of making a movie that you know every frame of the movie i wanted to watch um, which is i think something that movies kind of like in the artsy realm sometimes can stumble on they either are great to watch or they're a little bit overindulgent and you don't necessarily agree with the vision and it loses you a bit i was super thrilled that didn't happen here it's kind of an artsy movie Kind of reminds me of the remake of Suspiria in that way. It kind of takes uh, yeah. like a slightly campier original, kind of elevates it to more of like an artsy position. Um, and I loved it. I think the art direction was great. Uh, I think the, the casting and the acting were both great. The direction seemed to be great. They recreated a lot of these uh, kind of flying, like aerial photography shots from the original. Which I was super glad to see do a, a make a return because the original had some pretty cool shots like that, but in this one they kind of inverted what the look was like. Um, so I thought it was kind of a cool send back without just kind of copying what the first one did well, um, and it was a really great length. Uh, you know, one yeah. thing I'll talk about with movies a lot is their length, and it's not because I think there need to be hard limits on it. But I think it's important for movies to kind of recognize how much staying power they have with the audience, like how much time they can last um, before you're kind of wanting it to be over. And that didn't, I didn't get there with this movie. It's about ninety minutes long, maybe like ninety-two or ninety-three, but just, you know, just yeah. around an hour and a half, which is a pretty easy length to watch. And it left, um, you know, it, it ended with me being in a space where I would have been perfectly happy to watch more. But it also wasn't so short that I felt like I got shortchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just really love the way it was put together. I do agree there there are some moments uh, with kind of clunky writing, um, specifically you know like between uh, like artist or art critic characters. Um, it could be that I don't have like a super developed vocabulary uh, on those matters, and I just don't get it. But just watching as an outsider to the art <laughs> community it kind of felt like they were trying to make like a goofy portrayal of like how that works without having done that much research into what those conversations look like. Um, I could be off base there. Like I said, maybe I just don't get it, but some of those scenes did feel a bit (laughs) clunky, but it didn't detract from the movie for me at all. Um, they're usually pretty short. They had great visuals to accompany the clunky dialogue. So, you know, your, your attention was kind of elsewhere. Um, And yeah, I, uh, I don't really think I had any major complaints against it. Um, One last thing I'll say, just kind of in general without spoiling anything, is uh, I really liked kind of how they played with the original in this movie. Uh, You know, some remakes feel like they're just kind of there to replace the original. And I don't know if if this is considered like a remake technically, but you know, it was kind of marketed like one since it shares the exact same title. Uh, But this one kind of plays with the the original. Um, just kind of you know, going over some of the same points the original went over. Um, and it was really satisfying because I just rewatched the original. I really like it a lot. And so it was nice kind of getting that payoff where that movie was like, you know, we know that you've been here uh, since the original. Maybe not since it released, but you've seen it. And uh, yeah. satisfying to get that sort of that sort of payoff for having seen both.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a really great Roger Debra quote that I'm reminded of when you're talking about this, that I've never seen a good movie that was too long and I've never seen a, a bad movie that was too short. Like, if, <laughs> if, if you're enjoying it, you're always kind of thirsting for more. Um, and I felt that as well, too. But I, another point you brought up that I think is really fun is that, like, I think this can kind of be considered a direct sequel. And it's like, it's similar to that recent Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween remake where it's like, <laughs> It's kind of a remake, but it's also like there's this new trend of like there was a movie from the 80s or 90s. It was a horror film that did really well. The studio capitalized on that. They jumped in and made a buttload of sequels really quickly that are just of very questionable quality. Uh, and we're going to do away with all those kind of like shitty sequels. We're going to make an official sequel in the 2020s that's going to be, you know, completely do away with all that crap lore. And it's going to be the original and this. Like, Halloween, And then there's the 2018 Halloween that directly just rewrites all of that. Um, and I think this new Candyman is a really fun way of, like you had said, I, I haven't seen the second or third movie from the late 90s. But I don't get the impression that they're very well respected. So it's fun that this movie comes in. as like, hey, this is the official sequel. Don't even bother with those others. And it's a two series, you know, uh, two movie series. And, and that's all you need. Mm hmm. I agree but it's also impressive how well this movie
0: stands on its own like even though I'd seen the original sure. and I liked kind of the callbacks um, there's not a single part in the movie that I wouldn't have picked up on if I hadn't seen the original you know it, like nothing was uh, relying on a prior knowledge it was just kind of congratulating you for it uh, which I think is just nuts. more rewarding yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, anything else you want to say before we move into spoilers or,
1: or, or can we talk about what happened Let's do, let's do that thing we did last week, where what's, what's one thing you saw here that you haven't seen in anything else, and one thing you would change? Okay,
0: okay. Um, so, one thing I've seen here that I haven't seen... Actually, I, I might have seen this somewhere else, but I don't remember where. Uh, it's very possible that it was Resident Evil 8. But the paper craft... <laughs> um, the papercraft yeah. is super cool. Awesome way to kind of, you know, like tell the stories without just lingering on someone talking. Because even if you have beautiful people, beautiful camera work, great costuming, I don't really like to just have the camera sit on someone while they're talking for that long. It, it, mm-hmm. It's visually not that striking. And they avoided that entirely by having these little papercraft scenes for whenever someone was, you know, kind of going on a, on a story, spinning a yarn loved that yeah um it also super well done kind of kind of creepy looking um so it kind of set the tone nicely really could not have loved that more and i didn't know to expect it either um now then as far as one thing i would change with this movie uh i'm gonna try and avoid spoiling something but there's kind of one segment in particular that I felt was kind of extra for me, and it was just kind of like a break between other things that I was more interested in and on top of that it lasted a few minutes so it gave me a second to get bored I was brought back in immediately after um, but I think that there there was definitely some room to to leave some stuff on the uh, the cutting room floor um, sure. I, I won't I won't name the scene I will like right after the spoiler break but I don't wanna gotcha. spoil anyone. How about you though? <laughs> what What's something you haven't seen? What's something you would
1: change? So I don't know if I've seen this before. I don't know how new of a concept this is, but um, when we're you know very early in this movie and we're getting kind of our first, like the, the title bumper, uh, there's this really long sequence where we're getting like, uh, it's like the pre-credits where we're seeing like the name of the actors and the writer and stuff. Um, and it's like shot from the perspective of driving through Chicago, and imagine like you're holding a camera, right? You're probably just facing forward, but it's like, look straight up and then look backwards a little bit. So your back is completely arched. So you're like almost upside down, but still at an angle. And You're driving past these Chicago skyscrapers from that angle with this super foggy morning behind it. And so it looks almost like you're in a science fiction film. It's super disorienting. and I thought it really added to the effect for the, the early part of the movie. Like, I, I don't know if that's a new concept, but it's I'd never seen it before. Um, and then, yeah, I, I love the papercraft, like you said, as well. Uh, one of my big, and this isn't a huge gripe, but something that I noticed was kind of weird and felt out of place is uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II is a great actor. Um, he's in the new Watchmen series on HBO, which many people probably have seen, and that's what I know him from. Um, he is an absolute tank of a man. Like he must be six foot eight, 300 pounds of pure muscle, a lean muscle, just a big buff dude. Um, and it's not distracting for a lot of the movie, but there are scenes where the movie will acknowledge how just incredible of a beefcase he is. Like, there's a scene where, and I don't think this is a huge spoiler, but he goes back to the college from the first movie to get some records from the first movie's studies. Um, And this librarian is just, like, super infatuated with him. She's eyeing him up and down, and it's, like, kind of this, like, weird one-sided flirt scene, and it was, like, one of the most distracting things, and it really stuck out, and it was, like, wasn't that long of a sequence it was maybe 90 seconds but it just it was such this weird fat that like i cannot imagine made it through any draft of this movie like if i watched it like this that's totally deleted scenes for the dvd it did not need to be there but if those are the things that i'm griping about then you know that overall it's its a pretty good movie
0: yeah yeah, you know, I actually might agree with you on that scene a little bit. It's pretty short, and there's other stuff going on, so it's not, like, e- egregious in my mind. But yeah. it is kind of pointless. You know, it doesn't add to kind of the story the movie's telling. They never really kind of reference his appearance that much anywhere <laughs> else. Uh, so it's yeah. it's just kind of weird and kind of, you know, kind of pointless. It's kind of like, okay, so why did we linger on her flirting with him for so long like it like i i can i can enjoy some like you know some like sexual tension in a movie but that wasn't really what was happening they just yeah yeah i know i didn't get much from it either okay yeah cool okay so are you ready to get into spoilers i think i am okay well then i mentioned up front but i'm gonna say it again if you haven't seen the movie and you think you're gonna watch it Give us a pause here. Before we get into spoilers, don't spoil yourself. You're going to be glad <laughs> that you don't know what happens in this movie going in. It's better that way. Most movies are. Um, with that said, if you have seen the movie or you don't plan on seeing it, feel free to watch on through. Um, you, you won't be missing out, I guess. Uh, so before we jump into that, I think the hosts are going to take a quick five-minute break. I'm going to cut it down in post, and uh, when we're back... We'll be spoiling this bitch. And we're back. Uh, It is officially time for the spoiler full review of Candyman, where we spoil the hell out of the movie. So as promised, uh, right at the end of our spoiler freeze section, I'm gonna tell you guys what scene I think could have been cut from the movie without it losing anything. And that is the high school bathroom scene um yes it, it was totally thrown in just because it's like a classic slasher scene you know it's like kind of you know, people are in a bathroom which is like kind of a vulnerable position it's a bunch of teenage girls that's you know just a total slasher thing um that added nothing to the overall plot of the movie like we already knew candy man was killing people um you know, maybe there's an argument that it adds something. But uh, I've seen I've seen plenty of teenage girls get slashed. I'm just not that, that interested in it anymore. Like, it's not, like, offensive to me. I'm just, like, the rest sure. of the movie is so nice and creative. And then we have just, like, uh, the most tired trope in the horror book. So, anyway. And
1: it's placed so weirdly. Like, it feels like, from a pacing perspective, the movie just pumps the brakes. Like, the only way I could see this scene being included is in the very beginning. And so, I mean go to our Patreon, listen to our review of the first movie. But in that movie, we established from the very beginning, we have this like young couple, the babysitter, and her boyfriend who rides a motorcycle and comes to visit. They don't matter the story, they do the whole Candyman five times thing and they get killed. But it's like, you know, these are disposable characters we're putting right at the front so you know Candyman's real. Like we are including it so you can see him killing people. But this movie just freaking completely pumps the brakes. It shows this character that we saw 30 minutes before. We have no attachment to. And it's like, what is the fucking point of this at all? But I will say one thing. The only redeeming quality of this one scene is throughout the movie, we have all these, these black characters who are saying, like, don't call Candyman. That's like, that's white people shit. That's like, black people don't need any of that juju, right? They're always joking about it. And in the scene, it's four white girls and one Asian girl. And they're all lined up. And then, right when they get to the fourth Candyman, the Asian girl goes, fuck this, I'm out, I'm not going to play around with this, and leaves. And that decision saves her life. So I thought it was kind of funny that it's like, all these people are like, we don't need to do this because, you know, it's going to bring bad shit. And like, it actually happens and they're actually right about it. So I thought that part was fun. But again, 100% cut that scene out of the movie and add more fun puppetry or something. Absolutely agree. But on that, you know,
0: highly critical first spoiler note, I also want to talk <laughs> about some stuff I'm less critical of, or i d di- may i may I, may I even dare say I love this other stuff I'm about to get into Ooh. and that's this movie's callbacks to the original um so the uh this movie uh before they start doing heavy callbacks to the original there's um some indication that maybe things are a bit different. The Candyman story that we get told in the beginning of this movie isn't really the same as the Candyman story we hear in the first movie. Um but they're both, you know, pieces of local folklore at uh Cabrini Green, which is this like project housing uh place. And uh anyway, so at first it seems like they're a bit different, but then it becomes relatively clear that that's meant to be just kind of like an aspect of folklore is that you know it kind of changes based on who says it. Um, yeah. So I kind of loved that they played around with that, especially because uh, you know we get this different story that we're not familiar with from the the original movie. But then later in the film, they go back and they talk about the protagonist of the first movie, Helen Lyle, and they talk about the research she was doing. Um, but then you get like an account of her death. It's just ever so slightly different from what actually happened in the first movie, which I feel like is a really interesting way of kind of like leveraging this, like, you know, the the changes in folklore because the end of the first movie involves Helen becoming her own kind of, you know, mythical creature like the Candyman. So anyway, I loved how they're playing around with that. And then they kind of doubled down on, you know, connecting it back to the first movie by bringing home, uh, what's her name, or bringing back um Vanessa Williams is Anne Marie McCoy who is the mother of the baby that is abducted by the Candyman in the first movie loved to see a returning face um she wasn't the only returning face they also had a brief cameo from Tony Todd um it was a CGI cameo but they got his real voice Um, But anyway, so a couple returning faces, and I thought it was just a brilliant way to play with kind of like some of the underlying themes about kind of like our our stories and how they change with the teller. Um, Really love that stuff. Did you have any takes on that, Keeg?
1: I did, yeah. And so one of the things that I didn't love about this movie is that it feels kind of narratively confused. Um, And like watching the original, I think it had a bigger issue with that where it's like, I think this movie course cracks a little bit and makes Candyman out to be this character that is almost like a protector of this poor black community because like, you know, oftentimes like he is used to exact revenge or to like help these these poor black people seek some form of justice. It's it's horrific and it's very violent, but it's like, that's the only tool that they have, like literally in the end, right? When the art collector, I'm forgetting the, the girlfriend of Anthony, the art collector, she's in the back of the police car. and. She's basically being told that her life's gonna be fucked and she like, you know, she's kind of being strong armed by this cop. And she she calls on Candyman five times in the rearview mirror and he comes and and kind of saves the day and tells her to spread the legend further. Um, and in the original I think that gets kind of muddled because you see Helen Lyle and you're not sure, like, are these ostensibly her or Candyman are still killing black people in that movie, right? Like, they kill Anne Marie's dog, like her Rottweiler gets killed, her best friend, who is a a colleague of hers who's black gets killed by Candyman um, and so by doing that recontextualization in this new one you kind of start to see like hey maybe Candyman wasn't actually doing it in those movies uh, and it, it puts a firm stance on Helen Lyle was kind of slipping mentally and she was the one that was kind of carrying out these these murders so whether it's true or not I think it all kind of plays this like fun fuzzy line of like where the urban legend starts and ends and like what was true or not and that whole unreliable narrator thing that you brought up is, is really fun so when I just watched the original a long time ago, well, maybe like two or three years ago, I was pretty confused by like, does Kenny Man is he used to exact revenge? Is he like does he care who he's killing? But this movie really firmly plants him as like he is almost like a protector figure, and I think like using the puppet to retell the story of Helen Lyle was, was just super interesting to me.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I I do think this movie was a bit less confused than the original uh, in that respect. Yeah. Though I will say. And I'll actually, I'm, I'm going to hold off on this a little bit because uh, it's more about the original <laughs> movie. Um, but I will say that yeah. I think that the original knew it was confused and played with that in kind of an interesting way. And if you want to hear more about that, sure. uh, you know, tune into our Patreon for the, the review of 1992's Candyman. Um,
1: yes, please.
0: Yeah. So besides that, a uh, couple other things that I, you know, I want to touch on that aren't just how it relates to the original because we're going to talk about the original somewhere else. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, actually, though, there is going to be a conversation about how this relates to the original. But there's kind <laughs> of a uh, there's kind of a, a sequence in the movie where our main character Anthony is is going around talking to people, having, you know, kind of unpleasant exchanges with them. And then they get killed by the Candyman. Um, yeah. And this is, like, I thought, a really interesting moment because I was kind of wondering if, uh, if you know, Anthony was going to end up being the victim or not, or if he was going to end up being the, the monster. Um, and it's actually kind of the exact same thing they did in the original with Helen Lyle. But I think the outcome's a little bit different because Anthony, you know, does end up you know getting killed and he becomes Candyman himself and uh, Helen Lyle I think is uh, uh, a little bit more humanized at the end of the original like she does become the Helen Lyle monster uh, but I think that uh they kind of fall back on her her before all of this at the end of it but anyway I really liked the the whole kind of like is he or isn't he the killer and I love that they were able to make me kind of ask that question again having already seen the original where they did kind of the same thing um yeah yeah
1: okay yeah no i thought that was fun for sure um yeah those, those blurred lines i um do you have any more on that or are you cool if I switch topics a little bit yeah yeah go ahead okay yeah um one of the things that really stuck out to me in this movie and I, like you said i it, you have to make a little bit of comparisons, but one thing I think this movie did really well that I think was somewhat stumbled in the original from nineteen ninety two um, is these like overt themes of gentrification, um, and I think this movie does a better job of like having those converse conversations in like a show don't tell Um, because in the original, right, you have Helen Lyle, and she very clearly understands, like, she did some homework, and she realizes her condo is essentially the same thing as Cabrini Green. Um, She lives in the exact same blueprint as the projects, it's just moved out a couple blocks, so she's somewhat insulated from that world. Uh, Whereas in this movie, you know, you actually have the conversation of, like, there are these rich white art collectors who kind of talk down to some of these black artists and they're like hey you know don't don't talk about south side in your next piece that's a little played out um or you know just straight up telling these black artists that they are gentr you know they are the ones gentrifying because they're poor artists and they're moving into gentrified areas and splitting rent so they can do fuck all and, and make their art in their shitty apartments um and there's this really great sequence where that the, the art critic, the woman who wears all white, I don't remember her name, but she goes to the show and says that his work's kind of derivative and that she accuses Anthony of, of being a gentrifier himself. And then later, after some buzz starts to happen around his art, um, he goes to her apartment for an interview. And from the outside hallway, it kind of looks like a piece of shit. Like, it looks like she might even live at Cumbria Green. Um, and you don't even know who he's going to visit at this point. Like, I thought he was going to go visit... The original cabrini green from the first movie and then he knocks on the door and he goes in and it's the art critics house and she has a beautifully decorated condo on the inside it's like wait the movie didn't explicitly say this but obviously she is no better than what she tried to push her guilt of onto anthony right like she is prime example of gentrification living in this shitty apartment that she just made really nice right like she just brought in all this beautiful furniture and modern stuff um because so I think obviously, like, gentrification is a huge theme in this movie. Um, and I thought there was just little fun things sprinkled throughout like that um, that weren't explicitly called out or, or said by the characters. But were, you know, there if you're, you're just kind of visually paying attention.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. They did speak to gentrification a little bit explicitly in this. But, you know, I think that... uh they did it with a light touch, so it didn't feel like the movie was, yeah. you know, kind of bashing you over the head with a lesson. Because yeah. I like something that can, you know, teach you a lesson without making you feel like you're in school. Um, That's I like, the, I like the
1: light touch call. That's, yeah, yeah. very apt.
0: Um, one thing I will say is that in this movie, they had a number of sequences in the project housing. And... I think that they were a lot more believable at least to me in this movie than in the original because in cabrini green sure. in the original and the old towers every single room they go into is just this huge wide open loft looking space and uh, I, I remember watching the original it kind of took me out of it for a moment because i was like i didn't realize there was so much room in the projects like it's kind of like yeah. strewn with trash but like this apartment is is bigger than the house I grew up in. you know, like that that was like a house. Um, Anyway, this movie, I think that it looks a bit more Um, projecty. I I could be mistaken. You know, it's very possible that uh, the projects shown in the original movie are based on some pretty spacious like project housing that I don't know about. Um, But in this movie, I felt like I was able to kind of buy into the setting a little bit more, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And so, I guess I kind of want to follow up on something that I was talking to at the beginning where I was reading a lot of black critics um, and their take on this movie. And and one of the things I was hearing is that, like, uh, this movie, in a way, because, like you said, it it does want to teach some things or illuminate some social topics to you. Like, there are parables that you're meant to take away from it. Uh, But oftentimes we see, like, I just watched them, the Amazon show, or, like, even Get Out or Us. Like... There is this this argument to be made that a lot of these shows that bring these topics to light for a white audience have to use black suffering as a tool. Um, and like only through black suffering do white audiences kind of come to terms with these things like and I even had to deal with that myself. But I guess what, what is your take on that as you know, we kind of get further and further into the Jordan Peele cinematic universe?
0: Yeah. um, you know i think it's a little bit difficult for me to say on this you know i i don't have sure. like super developed opinions what i will say is that in the original 1992 Candyman, man um you know it was written it was based on a story written by a white man it had a large white cast and i think all of the characters that died in it with the exception of one at the very end were black people um, mm-hmm. It was kind of a you know a classic horror trope you know like the black guy always dies first. It's a bummer. I'm not yeah. into it. And you know the original I think is is a, a somewhat beloved movie by by the black community, but it still does feature a lot of black characters dying. When this movie yeah. did kind of flip the script, the new one, because most if not all of the people that you see like murdered by the Candyman are 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 white people. um yeah. There's the art critics that were talking down to the artists. They all get killed. Um, you know, there, there were the, the white high school girls. Um, so there's definitely an element of like black suffering in the movie. Um, you, you know, like the, the main character is, is going through a very troubled time in his life where he's clearly dealing with some <laughs> mental stuff. His, his like friends and family are, are obviously troubled by his, his kind of descent. Um, but I will, yeah. what I will say as someone that's probably kind of unqualified to say this is that. If you're going to make a horror movie, uh, the vast majority of the time, there is some suffering on the part of the main characters. Um, And if you're going to make a a black horror movie, those main characters are most likely black. And so I don't really think that in terms of the main characters uh, suffering, there was much wrong done by the people producing this movie i think they told the story they wanted to tell it included suffering but that's a very valid element of any horror movie i don't think it was uh you know i i don't think they were really making black suffering into a tool i think they were telling a story that they wanted to tell it's you know their story to tell um and if anything I liked that this movie wasn't just showing a bunch of black people getting killed because I feel like that's something that the horror yeah. scene has a real reputation for. And this movie moved away from it. You know, it, was, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it just wasn't really about that. Um, there, there were some, you know, discussions of, of black people dying in the past, uh, like the Candyman's various origin stories and stuff. But uh, at least the movie wasn't just, you know, throwing black characters into the meat grinder the whole time so i didn't personally have those issues with the movie um i'm also not the most qualified person to talk on it so it's possible there's something there i missed
1: sure yeah and to your point i think that you know having i think i think it's also just a testament to how much how important it is to have a heavily you know a large portion of your cast and crew be black people that are you know black creatives that are working on this movie right because like you said This is a story that they wanted to tell. And Nia DaCosta is a great filmmaker as well as we've seen Jordan Peele. So um, I think these are capable hands that this movie was left in versus, you know, I I think the original movie is impressive from the perspective of being a horror movie, but I don't necessarily know that it broached those topics as skillfully as this movie. So Mm -hmm. I agree. um, And I think you bring up some good points. I will also say um,
0: possibly a hot take here i think this movie was uh much better than jordan peele's other two endeavors uh get out and us um nothing against those movies uh i just i think this movie was more accomplished kind of on the whole they were all pretty well produced uh but it was more coherent than us and a bit less on the nose than get out you know i think it like this movie like broached uh, some of these social topics but Get Out felt like it was really just a vehicle for these social topics which might have been exactly sure. what, what Peel was going for um, but I, I think that I liked this movie's delivery better um, sure Yeah. what's your ranking? Rank the three um, Get Out, Us, and then Candyman in ascending order so three is Get Out, two is Us one is Candyman He's been getting better with so every Candy movie man for me. Us, get out. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, so you're gonna go completely backwards? Okay, cool. Uh, I think I would do *Us*, *Get Out*, *Candyman*. And that's not because I like, I dislike *Candyman* at all. I think they're all great, but I I think *Us* has that kind of like it. It's one of those horror movies that introduces iconography that you're gonna remember forever. Those people in the black, the red jumpsuits holding hands. It's just like that's Jack Torrance coming through the door, man. That's like that's gonna stay in horror forever and I will say I like when it comes to get out I think that was a movie that was kind of in the pop culture conversation in a way that Candyman is not and I think I it, it's unfortunate man that this movie is coming out in a pandemic because like, I don't think many people are watching this movie it did open number one in the box office this weekend but I just I don't see as many people talking about this movie whereas like with your get outs it has so much cultural staying power uh, where people are just quoting that shit or like any time a person of color has, you know, is the only person in the room, you're like, "Wow, this is this is a get-out moment, right?" Like, I don't think people are going to call to Candyman uh, with the same kind of like pop culture significance that they would the other Jordan Peele movies. But that's obviously not the only measure of quality with movies. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think any movie coming out right now is kind of coming out with unfortunate timing. Um, sure. But I'm still glad that I could see it. I would, I'd honestly rather yeah. see it now than have to wait until. You know some eventuality when everyone's able to go out to the theaters and you know i'm sure this movie's yeah. doing well enough it came out number one in the box office i hope it's successful um, yeah. yeah yeah all right um i i think i've exhausted most of my specific spoilery topics i want to talk about for this movie um do you have anything else you wanted to touch on keegan
1: no, nope. I just scrolled through my notes on my phone, and it looks like we covered everything that I wrote down. So I'm, I'm pretty content, man. I think this was a good conversation about the movie. Sweet. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, this is a, I, I really
0: enjoyed watching this movie, and I've also really enjoyed reviewing it. But with that, I think it's time to <laughs> get onto our ratings. So uh, for sure. viewers new to the show, we always give a little rating of the movie on the tail end of our reviews. Uh, we usually pick some absurd scale and give it some absurd units, so with that, Keegan,
1: what would you rate Candyman? Man, oh man, this movie was a lot of fun to watch. I uh, I just love that we're getting such good quality black horror recently. Um, and I, on one hand, I love that Jordan Peele is the purveyor of these, but I also hope that Jordan Peele isn't the only voice in this realm, and that like as we move on, we just get an increasing amount of high quality black horror that is is this in the public eye. Um, so I love this movie. I think it's a really fun story. I actually, spoiler, think this is a better movie than the 1992 Candyman. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I had a ton of fun watching it, and it scared me. And like I said, I was scared walking out of the theater, and I was scared going pee at 2 a.m. on Saturday night after I watched the movie. So it was effective, it was fun, it was well made, and for that reason, I will give it three out of four appendages replaced with a metal hook (laughs) Ooh, nice
0: nice that's a pretty that's pretty good review from keegan for a horror movie so love to see it yeah so for myself i really liked this movie i actually agree with keegan i I think i like this more than the original which is saying something because the original is one of those movies that I, i i do really enjoy returning to um It's based on a Clive Barker short story, and I love him. So, you know, it's one of my few chances to see him on screen or see his work on screen in some place that's not Hellraiser, which I've watched too much. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I like this more than the original. That's really saying something. And uh, I'm really curious to see uh, what what some of the talent involved does next. I'm curious to see what's what's coming up next from uh, Nia DaCosta. That said, my rating for the movie, I think... You kind you did kind of steal my uh, appendages with the meat hooks. I have to come up with the new scale on yeah. the spot, but I think what I'm going to have to give it is 18 out of 19 oddly aggressive bees.
1: Nice. That was the other option I had was the bees.
0: Yeah. So uh, with that, that's our review of Candyman. We both really liked it. Um, i think that honestly most people who can go see it you know people over the age of 17 would probably like it there's 18 to go to r-rated movies whatever it's a little bit violent and yeah
1: and vaccinated
0: (laughs) okay and vaccinated that's important don't be going out to the theaters if you're unvaccinated that's a dick move you heard it here first um (laughs) unless you're immunocompromised or have some other reason but you know still be safe yeah so sorry um yeah (laughs) anyway
1: what are we watching next week
0: yeah, so what are we watching next week? Drum roll, please. This is where I put in the drum roll. Okay. Oh, t- right. Sorry. <laughs> Drums have rolled. So next week, we are going to be watching the, I believe, highly anticipated film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's a new Marvel movie. I think it is the first Marvel movie featuring a, uh, a superhero of Chinese descent. Um, it's starring uh, Simu Liu and Aquafina, who uh, uh-huh. we've seen Aquafina recently uh, in Ryan the Last Dragon I think she, I, I had my complaints with the movie she wasn't one of them and Simu Liu, I haven't actually seen him in anything else to my knowledge except he was in one of the most recent episodes of Dish Granted on Watcher and he seemed like a thoroughly charming oh. individual so I'm actually excited to uh, see this movie I'm not really a Marvel fan but uh seems like they have some good people involved. So, you know, I'm going to go out and show my support.
1: Yeah. I'm super stoked for this one, man. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, it, it, it looks pretty fun. Um, to com- be completely honest, it looks like almost, like, a better version of Mortal Kombat. Like, a more toned down version <laughs> of Mortal Kombat. But, like, it looks like, yeah. you know, you got some of the kind of the same, like, super-style, like, super-powered kung fu and martial arts type moves. Um, yeah, but some, like, dragons and some, like,
1: folklore mixed in. Like, some East yeah, exactly. Asian folklore.
0: Yeah. yeah. This is, I think this is my Black Panther, really cool. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see this. Um, Yeah. So with that uh i think that's the end of our our review for this week you should check in with us next week to check out shang uh, Shang chi Um, we're pretty excited to review that one go see it first you know go show your support um and if you're interested in hearing our review of 1992's Candyman, head over to patreon i promise you won't be disappointed if you are disappointed though I can't do anything about that. We can't refund it. Take it up with Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Hank out. See ya.